Hello, welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. It's great to be back. Uh, I hope you had a good start to the new year, the new year that is September. And I just love this month. It's, uh, you know, the memories of summer are still fresh and there's a lot of hope and expectation uh, of the of the months ahead to the end of the year. And then, of course, the time Christmas comes along, we're well and truly knackered, right? <laughs> but for now, I hope that you have lots of energy and you have uh, lots of that hope and, and expectation. We're very lucky here in the lab to have a busy uh, last few months of the of the year. And uh, so far this month, I've been in Paris and London, which was a lot of fun. And between now, uh, you know, I'm going to squeeze in this episode, hopefully before the end of September. Uh, and then until the end of November, I'll be visiting uh, both these cities again and also Amsterdam, Dubai, Stockholm, Berlin, Madrid, and Doha. So if you're in any, if you're listening in any of these places, then then please get in touch. Also, because I, um, we're hoping to uh, launch a book uh, event in some of these places with the new paperback version of Sustaining Executive Performance, which really did keep me busy over the summer. And I'm really excited about you know hopefully fulfilling the original vision. I'm much more confident five years on to try and fulfill that original vision on that book. It is uh, 20,000 words lighter, but still a significant uh, length. It's still about 61,000 words there. We have some fantastic new artwork from uh, Ferran Broguera, who has done an amazing job in all kind of artwork over the years with the lab. Uh, and we have other updates in that book. So really excited to get that out. The Kindle version is available on Amazon Worldwide right now and the paperback will be available in the next couple of weeks. So for sure, the beginning of October, it should be out there. So to this episode, this is episode 20. This is Digital Wellbeing with Noria Oliver. And this fits great with September issue. Um, even that whole aspect of September issue, you know, my wife is involved in the fashion sector and the September issue and a lot of these magazines like Vogue, it often heralds the start of a new year and the new look. And I think that adds to this whole um, aspect of it being a kind of new year. And it's often the kind of more substantial edition also, which is why, you know, even prefacing this episode and before the summer, we called it September issue instead of episode. But anyway, that's a... Another point, if you're interested in that in that field. Um, so the September issue is Digital Wellbeing with Noria Oliver. It fits very well because summer is, of course, and it was for me this year, uh, an opportunity to do a digital detox. And I was reflecting that my well-being was better because I was less digital in my life. <laughs> and I think we have to look beyond that. But it was the first question that I put to Noria in this interview I was first in touch with Noria, uh, who's an MIT grad, Spanish engineer of the year, a real leader, a real woman in leadership role model for a lot of young girls in STEM subjects. I first met her at Telefonica University uh, in 2012. I then interviewed her for the Sustaining Executive Performance book and the whole chapter 10 on focus uh, is centred on the research uh, of Noria into smartphone addiction, if you're interested in any aspect of that. Um, she has many affiliations, uh, mostly Vodafone Institute. And also, since we interviewed her, uh, and just in the last week or two, she was named Data Scientist of the Year. So the f- congratulations 
to Nuria on that. And I hope you'll enjoy this uh, this interview. We talk about many interesting themes within this area of digital well-being. We look at how the big tech companies really aren't in our favor. You know, a lot of big tech products, they're exploiting our weaknesses uh, and we need to have a much more positive notion of technology. It's much more nuanced and much more supportive of our human nature. So we talk on, you know, what can we do? How can we control or maybe even regulate what's within our own control and what's a possible more positive vision for technology in the future? Uh, I think this is a great episode to start back over the summer. I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you next month. So again, keep well, amigos, and bye for now. Hi, Nuria. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Hi, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. So look, Nuria, I'm just back from a summer digital detox. Uh, and if we're, talk- <laughs> if we're talking about digital well-being, is it simply the case of less, less digital means more well-being? Well, I mean, that is, uh, I mean, it's certainly not such a direct, simple answer to the complex issue of the interplay between uh, digital technologies around well-being. Um, so I, I wouldn't dare saying, you know, that it is as simple as that. There are certainly lots of positive stuff, positive aspects from us being able to use digital technologies and particularly our smartphones. We've been more connected to people. We can be more productive. We don't get lost uh, uh, and so forth. But at the same time, it's never happened before in our history, um, the situation that we have right now where we are uh, increasingly spending more and more hours per day using these devices, which are also increasingly intelligent, which are always connected, and which in many cases um, uh, exploit some of our weaknesses to maximize the time that we're using them. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I was reading an article recently about the aspect of, of dopamine fasting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and essentially, that's what I was doing in this break on holiday, you know. Um, do you think that we, we need to do that? Do you, do you think that we need to have that unplugging, that we need to kind of detox from that dopamine loop that we're getting from our phone usage? Any, any reflections on that? Yeah, so that's a good point. So I guess one of the questions is, why is it that we reach out to our devices, you know, more than 150 times a day? You know, why is it that we keep going there? And the reason is because we receive uh, sort of like a positive reinforcement, you know, sometimes, which is which triggers the dopamine. But this um, positive reinforcement, it doesn't happen in a consistent, predictable way. It's, where it's much more similar to the type of rewards that you get, you get when you're gambling, which are the types of rewards that make people keep, you know, wanting to gamble. So research has found that if you want to shape behavior, um, animals, including humans, respond better to positive reinforcement than to negative reinforcement. So it's better to praise than to punish. You know, you train a dog by giving the dog treats, not by like beating, you know, the dog. And what further research has found is that that positive reinforcement is way more effective when it takes place at random occasions, as long as those random occasions are at least a certain percentage of the time. 
roughly say 25% of the time. Meaning, if I get predictably positive reinforcement when I do behavior X, eventually I habituate. And the dopamine triggering, you know, and release starts tapering off because we are just getting habituated to that. But if that reward is given to me at random times, I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. And the percentage of these random times is like more than 25% or around 25%, then I will keep doing this behavior, you know, with the hopes that I will get the reward, right? And this is exactly what happens with the gambling and with the slot machines. And this is exactly what happens with the apps that we most use, that we use the most on our phones. I have done a lot of work on understanding how people are using their phones. And the most used apps by far are communication apps and social media apps. When I post a picture on Instagram or when I send you a WhatsApp message or when I put something on Facebook, I don't always get an immediate you know, reinforcement, which would be a like or an answer or a comment. But as long as I get you know, roughly like 25% of the time, I will just keep going to check and going to check and going to check. And that, that is what is triggering these dopamine effects. Yeah. So, and that's what creates addictions. So in that sense, Breaking those cycles, indeed, is probably the only and most effective way to try to break from this, what we could call addictive behavior, right? The fear of not having your phone with you, you know, the necessity to constantly be checking your phones. So in that sense, um, it is positive. But at the same time, I think it is sad that as human beings and as a society, there aren't more intelligent ways for us to be able to make a positive use of technology without having to make this binary decision right now, sure. which is either I'm off, you know, 100% off, and therefore I don't benefit from the positive aspects, or I'm on, and then I'm subject to these um, highly addictive cycles, yeah. which is very difficult to break from, right? It's interesting because for all the sophistication of technology, then it is coming down, as you say, to to that binary choice and humans you know were much more nuanced than that in in a way i've been reflecting upon this also with my my son who's um mm-hmm. who's four four year old and even thinking about my own uh preferences when i was his age you know just even you know football stickers and even just the, mm-hmm. the anticipation of get opening a pack of football stickers to see if my team or which player was in that pack right and then even it's the whole aspect of you know, gumball machines, or even Kinder eggs. So my son, he loves yeah. he loves getting a Kinder egg, and most of that is because of that anticipation. It's the promise of the reward, right? Which is the dopamine. So exactly in our in our whole life, you know, we, we're we're kind of targets, and especially children with toys, we're targets for that dopamine. And then when we get to you know what big tech has done in the last ten years or so, then then we're going back into those those cycles so you know looking at making it more nuanced not just the binary decision positive reinforcement you know what do you think about the companies the big tech companies should should they be doing more or 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 would they just be destroying their business model if they were a bit more responsible in the way that they provided this technology to us Um, well i mean i think I think it is coming now to light increasingly and it's not going this is the beginning i believe um, internal reports and some uh, more information about conscious decisions that most tech companies are making 
where they do not have the well-being of the users at the core of the decision, but maximizing you know, the amount of money that they can extract from each of us because of us spending more and more time you know, using those services. So you know, the automatic play you know, feature on YouTube where you, know, you continue playing videos nonstop, right, or on Netflix, what is the value of that for a human being is questionable, if any, right? It obviously has value for the companies because it's a kind of like zero cost kind of way to keep you engaged, right? By showing you videos without you doing anything. So I think there is a lot that could be done to show that it is possible to have a financially viable business model that has human well-being and people's interests at the core and not maximizing the amount of time that we're using those services because it is obvious that spending all your awake time in front of a screen watching videos <laughs> is not good for you. I mean, you just have to have common sense to, to think about that. So I do think there is a lot of room for improvement. I think that we should help companies more accountable because it is extremely hard as an individual to counter effect the tools and the techniques that they use, which are designed to exploit our own weaknesses. Weaknesses yeah. that, you know, we don't have the tools to fight, you know, to sort of like um, overcome, even more so, you know, children and adolescents. The other challenge is the lack of transparency. If there was transparency on how, on the mechanisms that are being used to, to keep people in what they call engaged, you know, I would call hooked, you know, to using the, the services, then maybe through that transparency, we would be able to design some mechanisms to counter effect, right, um, the strategies that they use. But the question is, why are they using all these strategies in the first place? So I think one lack, one missing piece here is uh, scientifically sound research on the relationship and the impact that the use of these services, and particularly, I would say, the smartphone, because the vast majority of access happens you know, through our smartphones, the relationship between the smartphone usage and our own well-being. And it might seem surprising, but there actually there isn't any large-scale published scientifically sound research on this. I believe, and I want to believe, that the major technology companies have carried out internal research on this, but it hasn't been published. Mm. And until we don't really understand what are the positive, uh, what is the positive impact, but also what's the negative impact, it's going to also be very difficult to um, design strategies to counter the negative impacts, to demand more accountability, and, um, and to really understand, you know, what is going on. Sure. Yeah. Having said this, um, I also think there is an opportunity for new companies to show that you can still, um, yeah, as I said, you know, make money and be financially viable while um, being on the side of people, right? I just think most of us don't feel that the companies, you know, the most popular technology companies are on our side. I think we increasingly feel that, you know, they don't have our interests you know, yeah. at their core. Yeah. Uh, and that is really sad, right? Now, there's some great points there, and I'd like to come back to 
to the research part in a, in a few moments because I know that that's an area that you've done a lot on. Actually, the last time that we were in touch was you were doing research in, in that area. First of all, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm interested, where does the pressure come from? And I think that's a really interesting point that you mentioned about new companies. So in a way, they, or hopefully, there will be a competitive pressure whereby new companies will emerge that are on the side of people, that allow people to become I don't know, more of their human selves and to allow them to flourish and not just be exploited in this way, right? You mentioned things like exploitation of our weaknesses and especially vulnerability for younger people and children who become addicted to these things. Where, where else should the pressure come from? You know, should there be a role for regulation, for example, in the same way that we've seen pressure in big sugar and big tobacco over the years? Is, is big tech next for that kind of government legislation or pressure? That's an excellent question. My personal opinion is, yeah, I think there is multiple stakeholders that need to play a role. And one important one is regulation and legislation. Um, if you think about it, a um, hundred something years ago, um, there wasn't, the FDA didn't exist, um, which is a regulatory body in the US for the food and medications, right? which determine the safety regulations for any medication or for any food, you know, that is being sold. Uh, that didn't exist. So people could sell whatever they wanted and they could intoxicate an entire city <laughs> if they wanted. There was no safety regulations. Yeah. And when, when radioactivity was discovered, they would actually sell these um, drinks that had some radioactive elements in it. And then you could see the person's like inner body, you know, when they were drinking the, 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 this elixir. And of course, that was really cool, but people were starting to die from this, right? So then this whole concept of, well, maybe we should actually regulate what we eat, you know, we should regulate what is being sold in restaurants, we should regulate what is being sold in, in supermarkets and the markets and so forth. And it was revolutionary at the time. But of course, today it's inconceivable, right? Would you... Because it's the only way we can ensure that we're not going to die when we buy food, you know, that we have it grown, which is, I would say, 100% of the food for most people, right? So um, something similar, I believe, needs to happen in the technology sector if we think about the importance and the role that technology plays in our lives. I mean, it is pretty much like the food for our brain today. You know, 90% of our brain uh, activity is probably done through technology, but it's 100% like unregulated. There's hmm. no, uh, there's no sense on what is good for you or is not good for you. What is the recommended use? Whether this is good for children or not? Whether you know maybe you shouldn't use it more than X hours a day? I mean, there's absolutely no uh, stamp on what kind of like services are are sort of like certified that they are fine, you know, and which, which ones are not. So while it is an extremely complex problem. Um, I think establishing a parallelism with the uh, food and drug, you know, uh, re regulation could be an interesting uh, one. Um, it's very complex because unlike, you know, food or medications where it might take years to develop, you know, and there aren't that many, and then there are some how static things because they're physical objects. In the digital space, you know, software is alive. It's yeah. being updated constantly. Yeah, yeah. So how do you deal, you know, when you have a service that today is different from yesterday? 
And maybe the one that I use is different from the one that you use because it has personalization, right? So it's, it's not an, an easy answer. Yeah, but yeah. I know that there are, there are serious concerns, and particularly in, in, in Europe, which is what I know best, you know, the European Commission. And I know that, you know, um, there, there is thinking going on on what should be done. In addition, I think we, all of us, you and me and anyone who might be listening, all of us as citizens and as users of these technologies should feel empowered, which I don't think we feel right now, to decide what technology we would like to use, what kind of technology, to decide whether you know we think that this is going in the right direction or not. Mm. And right now, I think that uh, sentiment has been instilled in all of us of uh, power of being um, disempowered, yeah. of feeling that you know our destiny is somehow being defined by this handful of companies, which are you know uh, every day even more and more powerful, and somehow we don't have a say on our own future, right? And I think, of course, that uh, discourse is very convenient for this handful of companies that have all this power. But I don't think it's obviously the best situation, you know, for the rest of the world, you know, for society. And I think we should all feel and we should all demand to be more empowered. Mm. And the first step to feel empowered is to understand. And that's why I'm talking to you in this podcast. I think we need to think more about this. We need to talk more about this and we need to understand more about this. So the average citizen has a better, deeper understanding of, you know, how the technology that they use works, you know, what is artificial intelligence, how the systems work, how do they make money? And also, of course, regulators and decision makers, you know, and politicians, they have deeper technological knowledge than they have right now. So we can make informed decisions about our own future, which is intertwined, you know, with the future of technology. Yeah. No, that, that issue of powerlessness is, is, is fascinating. Um, and particularly if we think again about the younger generation, right? Then, you know, digital natives that have been born into this and grew up with this technology, they often have this kind of a- approach to this side of technology, which then links to the whole area of mental health, right? And, and given the fact that, you know, a lot of chief wellbeing officer focuses on the workplace, but I think just in society, uh, in general, mental health is a big issue these days, and digital well-being or the lack of it is is a big factor in that. I was reading a report yesterday in the Guardian that was just talking about the construction sector, and it said that it has a deep crisis in mental health, similar to that of physical health related to particularly health and safety from about 50 years ago. And I know that, you know, and I'm sure you're aware of this, a lot of companies nowadays are are having more of this open forum and, and, and talking about some of these issues. So what, what are some of your reflections on digital use, maybe some of the research that you've done and the whole topic of, of mental health? Yeah, so that's a great, fascinating area. Um, I, I do think that the impact on mental health is, clear, I mean, uh, in many ways. Um, There are different aspects of mental health, you know, there's anxiety, there is um, even like depression, feeling of loneliness, there is um, feeling of um, 
not being worthy because everything you read is, uh, you know, in social media, it's sort of like everyone has a better life than your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not necessarily true, right? Yeah. But people usually like bragging, you know. Well, that, I even, yeah, I remember, food. yeah, just, um, sorry to interrupt, just reading no, someone right. a couple of um, weeks ago, it says, no one shares their failures on social media, yes. right? And it was such a simple thing to say, and I'd never really thought about it. You're never going to do that, yes. right? Um, of course. And I mean, the... it's all for self-promotion, for bragging. So um, everyone feels that their life is misery because the, the rest of life that they read about online, they are wonderful lives yeah. because everyone posts the wonderful things, right? So you feel, oh my God, how come everyone has this wonderful life and my life is just like a normal life, you know? <laughs> uh, and that makes, makes people feel bad. There is also bullying, of course, there is social shaming, you know, because we, we magnify, you know, we can magnify the impact, you know, when in the past, you know, maybe the impact of someone, you know, deciding to, I don't know, make fun of a certain person or or point some weakness of a certain person was maybe your village, you know, or your small circle of friends. Now you have the whole world, right, with yeah. social media. So, so there are certain areas where, um, there is evidence and there are studies. There was actually a recent study that was published on the interplay between loneliness and anxiety, you know, and the use of social media um, that are emerging. Still, I think there is loads of, you know, more research that needs to be done. Um, mental health, I think, is key for society and for individuals. And I worry about the fact that maybe we are not giving it the priority that I think it deserves. Um, If we think about the fourth industrial revolution that we're living in and the deep transformations that are happening in society fueled by technologies like artificial intelligence and, you know, genetic engineering and um, nanotechnology and bioengineering and so forth. Um, If we think about all the predictions of how, as it has happened in the past, in previous industrial revolutions, there's going to be a massive transformation of the labor market. And we're going to have, each of us as individuals, we're going to have really strong mental health because we are going to have to change our jobs, you know, probably multiple times in our lives. We're Mm. going to have to reinvent ourselves to constantly learn to adapt, you know, in a constant way to a world, you know, that will be changing, you know, and evolving, you need uh, very strong mental health qualities to be able to do that. You need, you know, flexibility. You need security in knowing who you are, even if you have to reinvent yourself, you know, Mm. so you don't panic, you know, and you don't enter in this state of like, you know, being blocked, you know, or feeling depressed, you know, and so forth. So we actually need abilities that I don't think we are cultivating right now and that could lead to an even bigger mental health crisis than the one that we have right now because we might face a situation where we have hundreds of thousands or millions of people who are unable to cope from a mental health perspective with the ever-changing society they're going to live in and with the profound changes in the labor market that we are anticipating that they might happen. Yeah. That's one element of it. And even the first point that you made there on the labour market, that's just fascinating, you know, in terms of the learning agility that we'll all need, um, you know, as you mentioned, to reinvent ourselves. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it speaks of resilience. Another idea is 
to actually shield people from useless you know interruptions and notifications when people are not bored we know that this constant state of interruptions that we live in right now where we are receiving like hundreds of notifications a day it has a terrible impact on our ability to focus and it actually some studies have found that it means even like a 10 uh, uh, reduction in our iq by 10 points which is like similar to like basically being on marijuana you know all day hmm. so it does have a very bad impact. So maybe if my phone knows that I'm not in this state of being under-stimulated, you know, maybe it should shield me, you know, from these interruptions that have this high cost on my mental abilities. And then there is a more, a last, uh, um, from my perspective, more interesting idea that I want to explore, which is, well, if my phone knows that I'm bored, maybe it should suggest that I turn it off. Why is it that we are not using technology that is recommending us to turn it off? The services that we use, they obviously know how much time we've been using them. They obviously know whether we're using something, you know, excessive or not, you know, or productive or not. Why is it that we don't have the expectation that at some point they're going to tell us, you know what, Steve, this is enough. I think my recommendation to you is that you turn me off. Why is it that we're not designing technology with, uh, with um, those features, right, which would be more on our side, not on the side, you know, of the service providers? So, those are some ideas of, of uh, projects that I want to do. That's great. Yeah, wishing you the, the, the very best of luck with that. And just thank you. a final um, point, what, what can we do? You know, so there's, there's a role for, for, for other companies, there's a role in technology development, there's a role for the research community. But for us as users, um, and, and even get could be, you know, having more power to, to switch off. I mean, we have things, I don't know what your view is, getting towards that area, you know, iOS and screen time, which just improves transparency a little bit, you know, if you come back to a previous point, but we've still got a long, long way to go. So how can we as users, what, what would you advise just for us as a day-to-day -day user of all of this technology to improve our own digital well-being? What do you think? Well, I mean, that's a very uh, big and important and difficult, you know, point. I mean, I, I, I guess uh, I'm not sure I feel so like entitled to like give advice to anyone, but I can tell you what I try to apply to my own self, you know, in case it's like helpful, you know, to anyone. Um, so I think there are different elements. There is one clear element, which is interference with sleep. Um, so I think we have to be uh, disciplined in the use of uh, technology you know prior to going to bed in having discipline on what time you're going to bed and not staying until you know <laughs> the ungodly hours because we keep watching you know shows on on netflix or sending messages and so forth so i think that's one element that it has been shown many times that it does have a clear negative impact there's also the issue of the blue light and uh, the potential disruption, you know, in the melatonin production and, and the sleep cycles. But it's also the cognitive uh, effects of like being stimulated until so late, you know, at night. Um, and this is very important for adolescents, for example. The other area that I, that I apply to myself is trying to be more mindful on why am I using the phone right now because when we say technology the I don't know, the vast majority of the use is through the smartphone right uh so why am i using the phone right now do i really need to use it right now you know am i just doing it out of habit or am i just doing it because i have these dopamine you know cycles or do i really need it so i think 
just trying to, so I don't know if you've read um, Kahneman's, uh, Kahneman's book on the system one and system two. Yeah. So basically the idea is instead of just mechanically acting, which is the way we do it right now, we don't even think about it. We just mechanically pull out our phones and check, right? It's like just a, um, a really a mechanical um, a cycle to try to pause a few seconds and then say, do I really need to check my phone right now? I mean, if it, what, 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 what important thing, you know, is it that I need to, uh, to look at it? Something else that I do is many times when I go for walks, I purposely don't take any technology with me. Um, I'm going to be gone for an hour or an hour and a half. You know, nothing horrible is going to happen. Maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but honestly, hmm. I should be able to be able to go for a walk for an hour and not be connected, you know. And it is, it, it gives you this liberating uh, effect, you know, of knowing that you don't have any technology with you. And therefore, you really, I think you do feel liberated. I don't know if you felt liberated when you did your vacation without technology, but there is this sense of kind of like peace of mind, almost like, you know, I don't have to check anything because I don't have any device, you know, <laughs> uh, to check. And then the other area where I am very, I'm almost like Taliban, you know, style is huh. with my children. Um, I am very, um, uh, mindful on how my children use technology because I can see the impact on me as an adult having a fully developed brain even well I mean we know the brain is plastic but you know my brain is way more developed than my kids brain and, and I cannot imagine the impact that it can have on children who don't have you know a fully developed brain who don't have self-regulatory mechanisms you know as strongly developed as we have and that are key you know for our um, proper, you know, operation in life, right? Being able to self-regulate. Technology does not allow us to self-regulate because it just continuously, you know, is feeding us more stuff and stuff. It's like the marshmallow experiment, you know, mm. but multiplied, you know, uh, uh, or exponentiated, right? So I think the, 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 I feel that we parents have a responsibility to help our children in a situation where they don't have the tools to be able to self-regulate or to able to be able to make decisions that have their well-being uh, at the core, uh, because they are fighting with all these services and technologies that are just exploiting, you know, and, and preying on their, you know, weaknesses and our weaknesses in our human beings. So these yeah. are some of the strategies that I follow to to try to you know, moderate um, the use that I make of technology um, because, as I said at the beginning, there are lots of positive True. attributes um, and, and that's what we should try to maximize uh, while minimizing, you know, the potential negative uh, uh, implications. Absolutely. So, yeah. that yeah, that's some great guidelines to take the best, as you say, uh, and leave behind the worst. So many thanks for your time today, Nuria. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, thinking and working on this very important topic. Wishing you the best of luck in the future. Thank you.